0: So, this is Sullivan Stories with Tom Castle, and our guest this week is Jimmy McManus. How are you doing, Jimmy?
1: Great, Tom. How are you?
0: Not bad, not bad. Where are you these days?
1: I am in a small rural town in northern Nevada called Gurlat. The town motto is where the highway ends and the west begins.
0: Yeah. So, what brings you to that town? So currently my partner and I work for
1: uh, an organization that puts on a 80,000 person event once a year
0: out here called Burning Man. Ah, yes, very cool. So how did you get um, from, from ships to, is it, is it proper to say the desert?
1: Yeah, it is the high desert. We're at 4,200 4, feet elevation. And um, the annual precipitation is three inches a year so it is definitely desert
0: oh my god wow
1: tonight's tonight's low temperature is going to be 29 degrees to how we ended up out here uh my partner and i met uh while working out here um i took a break from sailing one year had a job offer to come do a nine-month contract working on the ranch as a facility maintenance person and what i thought was just to be a job on a ranch doing facility maintenance turned out to be taking care of 6,000 acres of wildland, three historic buildings, and about 14 trailer homes. <laughs> <laughs> I say oh, 14 because I'm living in number 14 right now.
0: We were talking before I hit the record button and you were talking about how sailors do really well in this kind of environment. Why was that?
1: So sailors do really well out here because we are in a very remote location. It's a two hour drive to Reno. Um, so any of your materials, your project planning, uh, well, and all of your project planning has to be thoroughly done first. And then you order your materials, they show up, you begin your project. And if you missed anything in those steps, you have to be able to problem solve and come up with a solution on the fly and that's a skill set that sailors have because it's the same thing at sea you're in a remote location only the resources you have on hand are what you can use to succeed and what your objective is and sailors are very capable of doing that that education at sea is pretty much tailored to that
0: i love that that's incredible um God, going back to ships, though, what do you uh, I've got a couple of standard questions I've been asking on this podcast. And uh, one of them is, what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now?
1: How small of a personal space you would have? (laughs) And how much of your, your community is intimate, and immediate? Uh, The culture when you get onto a ship? uh, I remember literally walking down the dock to my first ship as a volunteer and walking up to the first person on the dock who turned out to be the mate and wasn't in a very good mood. um, Peels back some blue painter's tape that was painted white and shows to me this pocket of rot that somebody had just taped over and painted and called it good and told me, this is what you signed up for. Are you sure you want to be here? (laughs) what ship was that uh that was the bill of rights
0: oh where where is the where is the bill of rights
1: so at that time i got on board when she was contracted she was owned by lamy and contracted to grace harbor historical seaport and at some point in that transition there was a hasty repair or hasty like fit out uh session by lamy and then a second hasty out session by Grace Harbor. And by the time I got on board, it was in Aberdeen, Washington. So the home port of uh, Grays Harbor, Circle Seaport, they had been sailing with just blue painter's tape holding rot back from the ocean.
0: <laughs> um, what resources helped you to start out? Um, I guess, I guess like in, inspiration, uh, whether that's uh, books or people you knew who were sailing or uh, or a movie that caught your imagination any of those
1: so i grew up sailing in san diego my, my home and uh my father was a big inspiration we went through um some weird points um but i remember my dad like one day getting a call i was in middle school getting a call from the office that i needed to come. my dad was there picking up and uh you know you think like a family medical emergency where were we going and we i show up to the office get excused from school and i walk outside my dad's sitting there with the truck and our hobie cat like hitched to it i mean he literally just pulled me out of school to go sailing so oh. we drove down to the bay stepped the mast and spent the day sailing
0: <laughs> there's a robert downey jr interview i've heard that was very similar <laughs>
1: kind of go back to like the what you I think what you were asking is like, what attribute really helped me in getting into the maritime industry? And that was um, being inquisitive, taking time to like, ask questions for my benefit and understanding, and not being ashamed or feeling guilty for monopolizing somebody's time just so I could learn.
0: Who were uh, some of your mentors?
1: My dog, Sunshine, is a big one. She's always forgiving and lovely, has the prettiest camel eyes. In the maritime world, some of my great uh, inspirations that I got to sail with would be, like, Craig Chipman. I remember I was rolling charges in the app cabin of links, and I would sit there and tamp down the charges, the foil of the charges on this pad. And Craig would hear the tamp, 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 and be like, oh, you should have... Add some flour to that charge. Okay, so I'd go to the galley, grab some flour, and add it to it. Tamp it down. Make this charge. Start again. Tamp it down. Like, you should make that a large one. I'm like, all right. So I'd pour a little extra gunpowder to it, black powder to it. Make that charge. And I think about after the fourth or fifth charge, I looked over Craig in his cabin, and realized he was just asleep. And giving me this advice subconsciously through his dreams, just me doing this process in the (laughs) vicinity of
0: him. (laughs) Yeah, I did an interview with Nate and Colette, and um, Craig's name came up with that. And then he was my relief captain when I was the uh, unlicensed mate on Charlotte Ann back in the 80s. I, yeah, definitely a mentor. I mean, even though I only sailed with him for like a probably a total of a few weeks, um, I learned so much from him. it was it was just crazy, really good.
1: yeah, another one I have too is uh, Michael Jake Jacobson, who was one of the shipwrights in the construction of the Lady Washington and one of the captains to be on her or you know continue with her until two years ago when he passed away. He's when he taught me celestial navigation. And everybody wanted to learn celestial navigation from Jake. As I was going through the process of learning it on a trip, I sailed with Jake for a year straight exclusively. We were on two different boats for a year. The culmination of that was going through the Panama Canal, taking links through the Panama Canal to the East Coast. And I was learning celestial navigation on that trip. And I'd spent, you know, hours studying it. When I had a question, I'd go, Jake would pop up, I'd ask him about it. And Jake's mindset is he would listen to your question and then start at the beginning of a rudimentary lesson of celestial navigation all the way to the completion of it. And 20 minutes later, like somewhere in that 20 minutes was your answer. You just had to been like paying attention to figure it out where it was at or whatnot. But after the end of the discussion, he always finished with, well, let's just grab the sextants and do a couple of sites and figure this out fantastic and i mean that was jake like he was he had the nickname the wolf you know like uh the character from pulp fiction he's the guy you called to bring in to get the job done
0: yeah jimmy and are there any uh, books or movies or you know films that inspired you also
1: yeah so um i didn't read a lot of nautical stuff growing up um apart from like what i was doing sailing with my father. Um, but once I got into the maritime industry, or tall ship industry specifically, like I really got into mar- maritime history and tall ship history. So one of the big influences I had was Sworn for Mackinac by Jim Spur. Um, he has since gone on to write it as a trilogy. And it's all about the uh, of Friend's Goodwill and the story of how that ship came into uh, Perry's <laughs> Navy. But another great story book that I I suggest everyone read is The Sea Devil by Thomas Lowell. And it's the story of Count von Luckner, um, who was a German sea captain during World War I on a tall ship that would act in distress and then captured Allied merchant ships. And for all the plumage of a count of Germany would have during the Prussian era, he had the education of somebody who grew up in the folks because he literally ran away from his family at the age of 12 and shipped upon the sea so he curses a lot has a lot of funny antidotes and writes it from the perspective of just a common deckhand on any old ship
0: fantastic and if,
1: if you recognize what? who thomas lowell is he's the same person who did the accounting of lawrence of arabia he actually oh. sat down with these historical figures and listened to their stories and wrote these books about them.
0: Oh, I am glad you said that. Thank you. What was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it?
1: I recognize this managing people. I got my first captaincy when I was 24 years old and I still say that I was too young to properly manage peers, individuals, people older than me. I don't feel I was properly equipped in my, my personal development and it took years to figure out where, where I went wrong to accept that and try to make a concerted effort not to repeat that again. And then uh, retrospectively going back and making amends or trying to make amends with the people that I felt I had done something wrong with. So I think that was the hardest part. And I think the tutelage of great captains and good personnel managers, there's great captains aren't great personnel managers, great personnel managers, not great captains. It's a fine balance to find that uh, those abilities in the same person.
0: What tall ship myth would you like to debunk? Uh, The Wages are really high. (laughs) I don't I've never heard that. Even as a myth,
1: the overtime pay is excellent. Sometimes seconds aren't worth it.
0: Okay, okay.
1: There's not really much. I'm actually a, a huge advocate for the um, all ship sailing world, because I am a product of it. And going into uh, the commercial side of the industry, the seamanship you learn, the culture you learn, and the attitude you learn, the experience you learn is just by hands, far above what any of the Academy graduates get any of the industry housepipers. There's a reason why Europe still uses this system as a training platform for their commercial industries. And I think it would behoove the United States to do
0: the same. What advice do you have for people who are interested in sailing, whether it's professionally or just as a volunteer?
1: Two weeks of sock, socks, two weeks of underwear, three pairs of shorts, two pairs of pants, and a week's worth of T-shirt. Maybe a hoodie <laughs> or two in your fallies. Get some good slip-on boots because they'll be the only thing that you wear. Um, yeah, that's it. Like, no matter how much preparation you do before getting onto a, a ship, the environment and is so dynamic, you will always get a curveball thrown at you. You just can't, you know, you can't see it coming.
0: You know, the the piece of Jimmy McMahon's advice I have forwarded to so many people in the last 14 years no I'm really interested uh <laughs> do your job don't complain and take the smaller piece of chicken <laughs> good one how was you man uh, how yeah you?
1: I want to make an addendum to that do complain because when you complain you are more um, able to have your voice heard and make effect change when you stop complaining, that's when they should be worried.
0: Perfect. What does the word shipmate mean to you?
1: Uh, I, I kind of alluded to this already. Your shipmate's very intimate. You know, you're know, you talking to people that you could roll out of your bunk and right into theirs by accident. Or you can have conversations through <laughs> a thin wall with other one or one you or another person is in the restroom um there is a crucible the the ship is such a crucible of emotion and experience and you experience that with this collective group of your shipmates that you can walk away from it and nobody else will have that experience again you guys have had that experience you guys have collectively gone through the same thing together and have the same experience that no one else can share. You can't replicate that. And that's what makes shipmate relationships so such a strong bond. You might not talk to a shipmate for years and then all of a sudden, here's a great story. So we had just finished our transit through the Panama Canal and links pulled into Florida. And I'm sitting there tying up the ship, getting all settled down. Guy curly hair comes walking down the ship with this girl around his arm, looking out, pointing at things on the ship. He's like, Yeah, I used to sail like a ship like this on the west coast. starts explaining the rig and all this stuff. I look at him, I recognize him as being an engineer that used to be on board. He walks up and looks at me, turns to his girl, and goes, Yeah, I used to sail with the guy on the west coast, looks just like this. And I was like, Hey, Abe, it really is me. I sailed together on the west coast, and he goes, Huh, turns to his girl, and goes, So I know this guy from the West Coast, and like just nonchalantly keeps going on with the spiel to this girl. Found out later he had pulled her from the bar up top of the dock and wanted to impress her. <laughs> but it was like, You know, I haven't seen this person for five years. <laughs> he just gives me a passing glance, rec- hardly recognizes me, and then carries on. I shipmates do. And um, hadn't talked to him, had no volition to talk to him that entire time. That, we weren't around but when i was in port you know that was my my short resource
0: what's your favorite dennis sullivan story whether whether you were in it or not
1: well i have a couple i'm gonna do two so my first year sailing on dennis sullivan i think it was 2011 and it was towards the end of the season and it was a blustery day and we were doing a day sale in milwaukee harbor And we were just short tacking and working the ship back and forth through the harbor, not going outside the breakwater. And Tiffany was on board, and she would call a tack and, like, hold the crew at ready until the last possible moment. And then she would turn to me and let me do the next tack. And it became this, like, not battle, but a competition on who could hold the tack, like, as close to the rocks and safely maneuver the ship and just like, you know, just kind of like slowly poking and nudging each other into into being a little bit better and to recognize it. I don't know if, you know, she was trying to test in the waters cause the next year I ended up doing her leave captain work. I don't know if she was just testing to see where I was with that or what, but it was a really good experience because that's how you learn the sailing particulars of that vessel. When to pull back, what's, what's comfortable with you and what's comfortable with the ship are two different things. And knowing where that line is, it's usually the human faults first before the ship does. The second part of that is, is the next year I got to do the last sail of the season and I sailed Sullivan onto the west dock of Discovery World without turning on the engines. And that was particularly noticeable when on a clear day. You could see the propellers were in plane, the feathering propellers were in plane, showing that the engine had not turned on at all. When Tiffany came down the next week and asked how the sail was, and we all regaled on how glorious that last day of sailing was. And she could see the propellers not not feathered out. She goes, Well, it looks like I'm backing her out of the slip under sail next year. <laughs>
0: I love that. Yeah, you were really important when I was trying to get the boat back to the dock in a south or a southeast wind. And then I remember doing the same maneuver because you were saying, I, I really thought I was totally lined up perfectly. And then you said, no, because of this, this, and this. And then that's when Tiffany shortly after taught me the Sullivan Shuffle, how to kind of, kind of drift in a little bit. You know, a beam to the wind, and then do that last maneuver as you're entering the channel. And uh, I just remember her calling it the Sullivan Shuffle, and it was perfect. It was it was really nice.
1: Yeah, yeah when I went to um, that was a really important kind of aspect of learning how to handle boats because when I went to Chieftain afterwards, Chieftain not having a keel, blown sideways everywhere you always point higher than you think you need to because where you you look over the cat head lured cat head and that's where you're actually building. whether under sail or motor that's where you're at
0: yeah definitely yeah maneuvering in and out of that harbor was just um (laughs) (laughs) always an adventure for sure i mean that's the only
1: time the captain really does any work so
0: why not Oh, I, I, yes, I know, definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah, Tom. What was the saying? Uh, South Haven's channel is the most treacherous channel in all of Lake Michigan because you don't know which side of the channel to watch as you go out.
0: Or Captain Jerry would. Say, I would. I asked Captain Jerry. I said, "So when when do you usually, you know, call it? When do you, when do you usually cancel the sail if you do?" And he said, "Well, basically, if the North Jetty disappears underwater." or if the or if it's splashing higher than the lighthouse on the south jetty and i actually thought he was kidding to begin with do. actually? <laughs> i do believe that the flamingo women are still there but well, i have I'm that not... picture framed somewhere in my art collection but that's for another story yeah. <laughs> So, Jimmy, thank you for being on Sullivan Stories. And if you are a past or current professional crew member and would like to be on the podcast or just have a story you'd like to share, please write to me at tom at tomcastle.com. That's T-O-M at T-O-M-K-A-S-T-L-E dot com. Jimmy, thanks a lot for being here, man.
1: Absolutely, Tom. I would talk to you 10 times a week if I could.